Whites listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Reno Whites. My name is Connor McQuivy. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining me. This week's episode is all about bikes, and not just bikes, but scooters and electronic bikes and bike sharing and bike infrastructure. I used to ride a bike when I lived in Portland, but I've never been much of a bike rider in Reno. This week's guest is Kai Plaskin from the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance. Kai and I had a great conversation about what makes a city bikeable, what bike infrastructure looks like, why people don't ride bikes even though a lot of people want to. It was a really great conversation and I think a really important one. As Reno is growing and changing, I think it's really important that we grow in the right way and other forms of transportation besides just cars, I think need to play an important role in that. So thank you so much for checking out the episode. Kai had a lot of good information for us. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to the interview, as always, if you enjoy the show, please let people know about it. I'm always trying to spread the word. And if you have any guest suggestions, reach out. My email address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. In fact, the way that Kai ended up on this show was from a suggestion. I ran into someone at Cafe Capello. I was sitting out and having coffee, wearing my Renoites hat, and ended up in a conversation with Jamie from Pineapple Pedicabs. She said, oh, you should talk to Kai if you want to do a bikes episode. And then here we are, less than a week later, Kai's on the show. So... If you have any suggestions for guests, please reach out. Let me know. I would love to have more great guests. And if you have ideas, I'd love to hear them. And now, this week's guest, Kai Plaskin. Well, welcome to Renoites, Kai. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for coming on to talk about bike stuff. This is going to be a bike episode, and you are obviously very involved in the biking community here in Reno. So I think the the best place to start is just to talk about your experience biking. Obviously, you bike as a commuter. You bike as part of the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance. You're a big advocate for biking. So have you have you always ridden a bike? When did you start biking as like a serious part of your life and the way you got around? Have you done it since you were a kid? What's your like bike history, bike story? Yeah, like everybody. Well, first, thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. It's great to meet you at the at the Hub Coffee Roasters uh, during bike month. So uh, yeah, at, like everybody, I rode a bike as a kid, or like most people, I rode a bike as a kid. I, I grew up far east of San Diego, about forty some miles, and up in the mountains in the in the country, in a in a little town called Potrero that hasn't really changed very much since I grew up there. You know, forty years ago, and um, the you know the only way to get around there was by bike. So I had my little BMX type bike that I I rode around everywhere and. Uh, that was my main form of transportation. One of the first projects that I ever did as a kid, I, I like to build lots of stuff because we had tons of junk around our house. Uh, I built a, a bike uh, repair station uh, for myself and the thing weighed a ton, but you know, I could, I could work on it. And I was so small when I built this thing that I built it actually too high for myself. So I couldn't even see the things that I was trying to work on on it. Uh, but that was my goal is, Hey, you know what? I've got this BMX bike and I need to work on it because there's no bike repair stations around here. And so I'm going to build myself a workstation. And I, and I did and, uh, um, tried to use it to fix my bike. <laughs> nice. So have you, so did you grow into using a bike as an adult as, um, like a way to commute? How did that transition go from, you know, a lot of kids ride bikes and then they stop at some point, but did you never stop? Yeah, what happened was my cousins 
uh, Mike and Jim Flynn uh, lived in San Diego. And what they would do is they would they started riding their bikes out the 42 miles on Highway 94, which has no shoulder and is super windy and has a ton of cars on it. And they were at like 16 years old and 14 years old. They were riding their bikes out to Potrero to come and visit me. And then they would and then they said, you know what, you're going to ride with us. And so they started to ride all the way out there on this super dangerous road at a really young age, get me and I was 12 and 11 and said, okay, now we're going to ride together. And some of these hills were a, a thousand foot climbs. Uh, over, you know, eight miles or so. And we would go down and up those. And so I kind of started riding on a nicer bike that was too big for me on a road bike on these real windy roads with real steep climbs and descents all the way into San Diego. And eventually I started riding both ways. I never really commuted for work, but, you know, when I lived out there way out in Potrero and and, in this countryside and uh, and I would get bored of being out there. I would say, you know what? I'm going to ride to San Diego. So I jump on the bike and ride 40 some miles to to uh, San Diego and uh, to my my other house there. And so that's kind of how I got into it. I I did ride the other direction to towards a place called Campo often, and I would take my family out there often. You know, this is back in the time when we had toe clips, which you know you had a piece of leather strap around your foot and you strapped your foot into this thing with a cleat on it. You know, if you didn't reach down fast enough, you were going to fall into traffic or off the side of the road. And like I said, there was no shoulder. So there were times when I fell out into the road and could have easily been killed. And, and uh, other times when I fell on the other side into the, into the dirt. So that was a, a pretty good introduction to, you know, how to, how to ride and, uh, and do it safely in some really dangerous conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's these two different ideas of what biking is, at least for me, there's this idea of recreational biking, and that includes things like mountain biking and road biking, these long distances. And my experience, I don't really have any experience in that, but I did ride a bike regularly as a like short distance city commuter. I lived in Portland for a few years and I got rid of my car and got a bike And that was my main way of getting around within a city. And I wonder a little about kind of the overlap of those two things. Are there people who generally do both? Do you think there are people who are maybe not interested in the the exertion and like the physical fitness aspect of these long, arduous rides, but they do want to use a bike to get around in town? And then on the flip side, are there people who don't necessarily want to deal with traffic and city streets and the, the hazards of driving in a city, but they like the the longer distances and the outdoors aspect of being on a bike. What has your experience been with both of those things? And do you meet people who do both or people lean towards one or the other? Do you see it the same way that there's kind of these two different modes of biking and that they have some overlap, but also maybe people that are just dedicated to one or the other? Yeah. So I I perceive cycling, at least the way that I do it is kind of an individual experience. And so we've all got kind of different ways of doing it. And, uh, you know, I grew up commuting by car on that windy road to San Diego every single day to go to school. And it was about a, an hour drive to get to San Diego and then another hour on the bus to get to school. So I had four hours a day of, of vehicle commuting. And so 
I got real sick of trying to drive a car everywhere and I never wanted to do it. And so the, the second I had the opportunity to start commuting, regardless of the distance, I started to do it by bike. And, and now I don't, really enjoy the you know the aspect of being in traffic so if i have a choice of going out on a bike ride it will either be very leisurely on some sort of uh, like a beach cruiser type thing or an e-bike or a mountain biking so you know i'll i'll still commute to work and and that's the primary way that i i i get to work is i'll i'll ride I work down in Carson City, so I'll be riding from Reno to Carson City each direction, some 60 miles and sometimes uh, real rigorous over uh, the Virginia range or up over uh, the Mount Rose Highway. So, you know, I will do that. But if I have a choice on what it is I'm going to do for recreational purposes, it's either going to be riding a a beach cruiser around and uh, having a good time and looking around and relaxing and enjoying the sights and the sounds and stopping wherever I want. Or it's going to be up in the mountains and enjoying the tranquility. So I like to get up before sunrise and pack up and head over to Peavine and uh, go on a long ride all the way to the top of Peavine and just relax up there before anyone is out. And it's just incredible to watch the city wake up from there. Um, But really, to your point, I, I, like everybody else, some 60% of the public, understand that it's dangerous out there on the roads. Going out there on the road to uh, to recreate is not something that I particularly look forward to. Uh, I do enjoy the speed and um, and being in traffic. But, you know, I, I, I just recently got, I think a lot of people have uh, Strava, but I recently got a watch that tracks my heart rate and it's got a stress meter on it. And which is basically related to your stress. And when I would ride down to Carson and then ride back on my way back from Carson City, my heart rate would be real low, even though I'm exerting myself, you know, just as much as I consider myself exerting myself in the city from Carson City through Washoe Valley, where there's not a lot of traffic, my heart rate would be real low. But the second I hit Mount Rose Highway and started to get into real heavy traffic, my heart rate would go through the roof because I'm constantly looking around my my adrenaline's pumping because uh, there's cars everywhere and it is dangerous and I feel like I'm gonna die mm-hmm. and uh you know that and when I saw that I, I was like oh my god look when I get to Mount Rose Highway I am really stressed out all of a sudden and it's exhilarating and my adrenaline's pumping and you know maybe when I was younger I took some pleasure in that but uh, not anymore. And I think that's kind of catapulted me more into this advocacy role, which I'm, I'm really new in. And I'm not sure I exactly fit here. But uh, John McCann, who was the previous Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance president, uh, I worked with him on, on one project on installing a bike rack. And I, he was just really impressed, I guess, with my enthusiasm and connections and said that I would be a good fit. And so here I am. And so I think there's a lot of people that know a lot more about cycling and infrastructure. And I just happen to be in the right place at the right time and have a lot of enthusiasm and uh, am willing to work with anybody. And I certainly don't have all the answers and I have, but I do have the experience. And so, uh, um, that's how I ended up kind of where I am. Excellent. Yeah. I think you make a good point about the, 
the stress level of biking in certain circumstances, because to make people want to bike, I think it needs to be presented as something that's fun and that is leisurely, that it's a, a recreational activity, that it's not going to, you know, be a bad experience. And when there's so much of the interaction between bikes and cars or the the infrastructure that we have that makes biking stressful or uncomfortable or dangerous, that's an immediate turnoff for a lot of people. So uh, I'm curious what the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance does. You mentioned it's advocacy organization. So you're relatively new there, I guess. But what is uh, what does Timba do and what's kind of the, the history and, and what's their role in the, the biking community in Reno? And I'm going to ask you to ask that question in just a minute because I want to address what you were talking about there with the, the statistics wise, uh, because we do have some recent statistics out that show how many people feel in what way about cycling and why they don't get out there. And it's like one to 6% are, I'm going to get out there on my bike in traffic, no matter what. Only, I think only 1% are like that. And then there's like another uh, 6% that are, yeah, I'll go out sometimes in traffic. I'm not too concerned. But then there's 60% of people that are like, I really want a bike, but I'm not going to because it's too dangerous and mm-hmm. they really want some separated facilities. And then there's another 30% that are like, there's no way in hell that I'm getting on a bike to go ride anywhere. And if we could get that 60% out with safer facilities, I believe that that other 30% will follow. But that 60% is huge. And a white line in a bike path is not going to do it. A Shero is not going to do it. Shared facilities with cars are, are good and to some extent because they do show drivers that they have a right to be there. And so it's kind of an educational a- a component and gets people thinking about bikes. But what people really want are separated facilities that, that they're completely separated from traffic. And, and I'll talk a little bit more about, you know, what I've seen out there in the community. As far as what the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance does, I think that was the main point of the question, is that we are advocating for those kinds of facilities. What is it that people want? And we're not just talking about the guy who's going to wear his, his uh, cleats and his spandex and race from here to there, that 1%, uh, regardless of what it's like or you know the people who are diehard bike commuters you know that are like me and going to go out and and ride in zero degree weather for 30 miles to work we're we are here to cater to everybody and part of my goal here and a little bit of a shift in the organization that i've made in my short time here is to try and draw others in that are not necessarily just cyclists so we're trying to focus a little bit more on e-scooters and one wheels and skateboards and push scooters, whatever they happen to be, we've got to expand that because we can't beat our addiction to the car with just our bicycles. <laughs> we've got to work together. And that includes pedestrians too. And one of the things that I consistently hear from those in government and, and others is that, you know, we ask for a bike facility and pedestrians come out and they say, well, what about the pedestrians, you know, and then, and then we're like, we've got some sort of infighting going on. That's not serving our mutual purpose, which is to make the road safer for everyone beyond just cars. You know, we're also, we're, we're focused on trying to make the road safer for underserved communities, lower income communities up in Lake Tahoe, for instance, when there was, um, e-scooters up there, 
uh, they, they collected some data that showed that people in lower income communities were using the scooters to get to work. Instead of taking the bus, they jumped on the scooter and they would and they would get to work. And, and it can be the same here in Reno. And what's neat about that is that the companies have recognized that there's an opportunity there. And so they've created programs for lower income folks as well. And, and we can talk a little bit more about that. If I go back to what we do at the Trucking Meadows Bicycle Alliance, it's that big shift from just bikes to really everything, which we call multimodal transportation. And that term is catching on among local politicians that, hey, you know what, um, you know, it's, it's all of us together. And what I've been trying to do recently in some of our posts on the uh, Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance Facebook page is emphasize that we are working together and that the uh, that that we've got some serious addictions to cars. In in my opinion, the the car is the most influential economic influence on our society. From all the products that we produce to to make a car to even healthcare, where we're spewing tons of carcinogenic uh, material into the air and then breathing it in, and then we've got a cancer epidemic. And then government is also addicted to it because we've got all this tax money coming in. So these are not tiny little problems to solve. They're huge problems, and it takes a concerted, cooperative effort to to solve them. And that's what the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance is here to do. Excellent. Yeah, I think that one of the other things that cars have affected is just the way that we build our cities too. Like this suburban sprawl, the way that cities have grown outwards and outwards and outwards is because this assumption that everyone has a car and everyone will be able to drive to where they need to go. And that has huge environmental impacts, you know, like density and height are much more effective ways to build cities without damaging the environment when you're spread out over, you know, miles and miles, because you assume everyone has a car that leads to those kind of effects too. It's not just, you know, urban sprawl and building way out in the middle of nowhere because we got a car that we can drive there, but it has social impacts well beyond that, that people live out in these communities way out in the middle of nowhere, and then they don't know their neighbors. They spend all this time in the car, you know, wasting thousands of hours of their life uh, with their foot on a gas pedal and hands on the steering wheel. And, and yeah, you know, maybe electric cars can solve that or autopilot, you know, in the future or something like that. But is that really what we need? And then also to talk about the history of this just a little bit, the automobile is also what gave rise to fast food too. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole epidemic around fast food and, and obesity in this nation. So you're right. If we're living in denser communities in the city and able to ride our bikes, then we would solve a lot of, we would have more time to cook ourselves healthier meals and be healthier because we're riding our bikes. And Reno is an amazing place for that. You know, we've got, I don't know, 360 two days a year of sun, you know, and, uh, and meanwhile, in places like Portland, where you're from, Connor, or where you lived, uh, it's, it's rainy all the time. And for some reason, everybody's riding bikes there. It's all rainy. And here in Reno, it's, uh, it's, it's very sunny and not as many people are riding bikes, and they're still focused on the kind of the sprawl. So Mm -hmm. there's a big cultural shift that we've got to do. And, you know, it's not just here in Reno. Reno is probably the easiest place to make that cultural shift. But if we talk about down in Las Vegas, for instance, they, they got a really long way to go. You know, there's there's bigger hurdles there as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Do you think that it's a 
large, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? So is it a cultural shift where we get people to start biking? And then if they are actively biking, they're going to be more likely to advocate for things like bike lanes and these infrastructure changes. Or is it a matter of we need to put these things in place so that people will be more comfortable biking so that the on-ramp into getting away from the car and using these multimodal forms of transportation is easier for people. Like take away that fear and take away that danger and you'll see more people actually doing it. Where do we start? Is it both of those things at the same time? What is Timba's approach to making that shift happen? Yeah, that's a, 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 a good question and one that I had not thought a, a lot about until just now when you're asking it. But I think that I do have at least my opinion as far as an answer is concerned. You know, there's, there's the typical early adopter of just about anything. In bicycling, you know, the bicycle has been around for a long time and there's been early adopters for a really long time. And we're kind of just sitting there being early adopters. And then there's not the mass adopters. And what's the difference there between, you know, this ancient technology of riding a bike and like say cell phones or whatever it happens to be that people just kind of pick up and run with. Why haven't people picked up and run with the, the, uh, the, the bicycle. And I would say that there's this pressure of the danger of, of the cars that are out there. So it's, it's not the same as early adopters for a cell phone, because if you picked up a cell phone, you weren't going to, you know, possibly get hit by a car. You know, you're just, <laughs> you're using your cell phone. There's not this, this pressure and danger out there. So really when, it, when I'm thinking about it, yes, it's the infrastructure, the safe infrastructure that needs to be in place before we're going to get that 60% of people to jump on them, the hundred million bikes that are out there in the United States right now. We're the second largest number of bicycles in the world. And I bet that the vast majority of those bicycles are sitting in a garage somewhere Mm -hmm. and uh, with flat tires and people, you know, we're thinking that they would get out on their bike, but they're not because it's dangerous. So if you put in the safe infrastructure and more people start getting out, more people start seeing people getting out, then that's going to, to shift the culture. I don't know the history of uh, some of these other bike cities, but in in the MIT book, there's an MIT book that just came out this year called Cycling for Sustainable Cities. And one of our board members put together a presentation on it. And it showed that in Boulder, New York, um, I believe uh, there are a couple other cities in, in, in this list, but when they put in separated bike paths, it led to an a dramatic increase in the number of people out there cycling. So uh, yes, it's, it's gotta be those facilities and they gotta be connected. So, you know, we've got a couple of spots in Reno where you're riding along in a protected path and then suddenly you're out in traffic again. These paths all need to be connected. In some cases you're on a bike path, which isn't particularly safe. And then the bike path just disappears and it may only disappear for a block or even a half a block or, or even just an intersection. But there have been instances where people have been killed after being in a in a bike lane that turns into a bike route and then just completely disappears and there's no bike facility. And I think that demonstrates the need that's out there in order to get people out on their bike. I think what you said earlier about this conflict between cars and bikes and pedestrians and then maybe even some of these other multimodal forms of transportation We've seen even here in Reno. So there's this Midtown has been heavily redeveloped and they redid all the roads. 
I don't know the the background on it, but was there some kind of conflict around, is there going to be parking or is there going to be bikes or is there going to be, you know, roundabouts versus when all of that infrastructure was going into place in Midtown, I wasn't paying that much attention, but I'm guessing that you were. What was the experience there with working with the city or seeing what the city was looking at as options and what they decided to do? And how does that fit into this whole bigger picture of making these safer paths for for bikes and multimodal transportation here in Reno, you know, in recent years? Yeah, so there's all this, uh, I guess, competition between pedestrians and parking and cars and bikes. And it's like when you've got 90% of the roadway being taken up by cars, you know, it's, it, it's hard. And so there have been some grumblings over that time uh, regarding parking. I taught radio for a little while here in, in Reno, and I had some students that worked on a story about that redevelopment. And uh, they were shocked that there were no real bike facilities going in at all. It was just, hey, you have the right to be in the lane along with all the other cars that are stopped. And then you get a squeeze between traffic to get by. So Midtown's a really good example of that kind of conflict of interest. And I think that, and I haven't talked to RTC about that, the Regional Transportation Commission, which did that project, but there were plans to put a cycle track, which is a separated bike path on center street. And so the idea of that is that, you know, you're riding down center street, you've got a clear path from midtown directly up to the university, right through downtown, unencumbered, nice and wide, separated from traffic, super safe, plenty of room. And you know what, if you want to go over to midtown and walk down the sidewalk, you can do that with all the people. And, you know, do we really want or need bikes in that mix? And I would say that the answer is no, we, we don't. And the same thing is, is, it's the same case on, on Virginia Street right through downtown. We don't need bikes trying to navigate slowly walking people and buses and, and cars all in that mix. They can shoot through uh, downtown just like the cars do over on Center Street. Just like they do over on Sierra Street. Cars shoot through there on Sierra Street. So the idea there is, you know, you ride your bike from Midtown up to the university and you find a place to park your bike and then you go into the denser area uh, walking. And it's the same thing in Midtown too. You, you ride down to Midtown, find a place to park your bike and then walk into the, into the dense area. And if you choose to ride your bike in there, you can but it doesn't work very well and it's not particularly safe to be in there with your bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember when I was biking in Portland, a lot of times the way that I would get from one place to another was a block or two away from the main street where all the cars were because those had, even if they did have bike lanes, they weren't protected bike lanes. You were right next to cars. You were, you know, having to keep an eye out for doors flying open, things like that. But just a block or two over, there was usually a, designated bike share path, like with the sharrows, those kind of things. And they were in more neighborhood environments. Sometimes they would have the, you know, fewer stop signs, those kind of things. So you can take these kind of direct routes that are just off traffic, but you're still following the same kind of path of traffic and just a block off. So you can still get the same places that all the cars are going. It seems like that's a good idea for Reno. What, what's been the results of that proposal? Or is that something they're still looking at doing? Uh, what's the current status on that? Yeah, so Center Street is a, a very hot topic at the moment. When I first came on, we did start to get some grumblings that there that the Center Street cycle track may be in trouble for some reason or another. 
while it's been approved and is moving forward at 30% design, there's some whittling away of the project. There's It was going to go from Moran Street all the way up to somewhere near the university. I'm not really sure exactly where. But between Moran and Cheney was cut out because there were concerns about having parking and not enough parking in the, in the Midtown area. And so I drove the other day through there and I counted how many parking spots are here. And there were 18 parking spots. And so what I just recently told the RTC is, hey, you're going to forego bringing thousands of people safely into downtown and into Midtown for 18 parking spots. That doesn't make any sense. And I think that they see that. And I think that a lot of staff in the city and RTC also see that. There's also got to be some that don't. But there's also a lot of political pressure to have more parking. And some of that political pressure can come from businesses can come from politicians. It can also come from the casinos. And that's what's going on now and probably the biggest threat to that project, even though it's approved and already 30% designed. After the fact, Caesars Entertainment, which runs the row, which is Silver Legacy and Circus Circus and uh, another casino down there, they want the bikes to go down Virginia Street in front of their casino. So they're thinking, oh no, the cyclists are going to be riding on center away from the casino and they won't get off and come into the casino. Um, <laughs> the problem is, is that if you try to put a cycle track over there on Virginia street, the street gets closed. There's too many pedestrians. Uh, it's dangerous and they, they won't ride through there. And so you could put a facility there, but it's unlikely that cyclists are actually going to use it. So it's counterproductive. You, you have to have just like any other, uh, just like the car, people are driving on Virginia street, but they're not, you know, parking right there in front of the casino and going in they're they're zooming through on center or on sierra to, to get to where they need to go mm -hmm. and if they need to go over to the casino then they'll park their bike and they'll walk over to the event that's happening over there and walk down the street with all the other people but it would just be a nightmare to have just like in midtown some sort of sharrow or even a separated path that's got a thousand people walking on it and you're gonna try and you know, keep people from walking on it because people are supposed to go on a bike. It just doesn't make sense. And to have that kind of political pressure and that interest in the money, it's a $13 million project, which might sound like a lot, but it's really not that much in terms of roads and cost. But to have a big player like Caesars Entertainment come in and try to stop an approved project that's already been studied for years and has been decided as the best option to get the most people on bikes into the area safely to have them come in after the fact and try and change it is is really disconcerting and unfortunate and i i really would appeal to the community and to caesar's entertainment to back off of that approach and for the community to put pressure on caesar's entertainment to to back off as well and uh, stay in their lane focus on virginia street and, and keeping it kind of a walking and maybe take your cool car to drive under the arch uh, kind of area mm -hmm. and let cyclists have the safe, uh, speedy option to get into the area because we've got infrastructure coming in. We've got scooters and e-bikes coming in and they need a safe place to go. And you're not going to want to have a situation where e-bikes and e-scooters or cyclists are, are getting killed in front of your casino, which is a, is a, a very serious threat. Yeah, it sounds it's I mean, that's frustrating that it seems like there is this good 
win-win option that brings more people to the downtown area that makes it easier to get in and out of downtown on a bike these downtown businesses would want to encourage it seems like oh that makes a lot of sense that more people can come downtown this way because i think that people have an intention on where they want to go and if they're trying to go downtown to the the casinos just because the bike path is on center instead of virginia that's not going to stop them from getting where they're trying to be so it seems unfortunate that there's this um you know, interference in something that sounds to me like was the best option. Hopefully they, they can either back off or the community can show them that there's a good option already on the table that doesn't need to be interfered with or messed with. That's, that sounds frustrating. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about it is that um, when we did get these grumblings and I, I sent out a, a mass email to our membership. Um, we're, we don't really have members. We have supporters uh, because there's there's no fees associated with the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance. But I sent out a, a note to all of our supporters saying, hey, you know, encourage the RTC to move forward with the project uh, that's already been approved. And uh, they got 40 comments, which is more than they've ever had in any meeting that we've heard of on on a particular project. And then shortly after that, we got a box in the mail with 67 shirts in it that say, save Center Street. And this has made some waves in the development community. You know, and I, I've been talking to Caesars Entertainment and their attorneys um, about this project. And, you know, we are prepared to take action if necessary and, and make some waves on this. So uh, the community is ready to do stuff in a, in a way that I really wasn't prepared to see them be prepared to, to do something about it. But each one of these, you know, we don't, we don't need a situation where every protected bike path is some sort of a battle. It's got to be, yes, we understand that this is the best option and we're moving forward with it and we're not going to take our eye off the ball of, of uh, saving lives and getting more people out on bikes in order to protect the environment and protect children and families and protect tourists and increase the economic input from, from all these bikes and scooters and, and all these other multimodal transportation options that are out there. Yeah. Do you, are there businesses or developers or these kind of players that are supportive of bike infrastructure as you know, Reno is growing a lot. There's a lot of development happening. Everything's moving really fast. Things are changing in several of our neighborhoods. Have you found businesses or organizations or developers or whatever who are actively factoring that into their plans and what they're building or how they're renovating their businesses or like, are there private businesses putting bike racks in front, basic things like that? What have you seen that's on the, on the plus side, on the supportive side of biking from the business and development world? Yeah. In Midtown, uh, you know, this is before my time, but um, uh, my understanding is that when Center Street was moving forward, that uh, there were hundreds of letters of support, uh, not just from the community, but from businesses as well. And my students who interviewed businesses over on uh, in Midtown said that they were really excited about the way that it was being developed. Even bike shop, the bike shop over there, I think College Cycle Cyclery was excited about the way it was being developed. And and then there are bike racks being put in here and there. And Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance does put in bike racks. We'll install a bike rack for two hundred bucks. We'll we buy it and install it, two hundred bucks flat. Costs us about a hundred bucks, and then the other hundred bucks is materials to put it in and a little donation to the to our nonprofit. 
So, you know, there is support out there and, and it's beyond what I had expected, which is great and, and we need. It's really the, the masses against a few that may be trying to curry things in their favor and away from uh, what is really a, a public benefit. And so we have to focus on that public benefit of saving lives, improving the economy, and also helping people to get to where they want to go. If Right now, downtown's a, a literal choke point of vehicles. We did a demonstration over the weekend of, of e-bikes and or e-scooters, and I jumped on one and I rode it around downtown. I ran into a reporter uh, over at the Hub Coffee Roasters uh, over on Riverside Drive, and she was looking for me, and I didn't expect her to be looking for me, but she was looking for me. She was in an SUV. And, uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, follow me over to where you can interview me at the other Hub Coffee Roasters. And so she tried to follow me in her SUV, and I'm on this e-scooter that only goes 10 to 15 miles an hour. And she was like five minutes behind me. I kept on having to stop and wait for her because she's stuck in traffic. And people just don't want to go down there because they got to find parking, and they're going to be stuck in traffic. And they might have an idea of where they want to park. Some don't, and they'll drive around for a really long time looking for parking um, or drive way up into a parking garage and and have to try and find parking in there. But, I mean, seriously, before COVID, we were out of parking in downtown, and there's just no more room for more more cars. So that's got to be a part of this joint conversation that we're having with RTC is that, yes, you've built great roads, four cars. But now there's not enough room for all the cars and all the people that want to be up, be down there. And if we want to bring more people down there, then we need to figure out another way to get them there. And it's not going to be in a giant SUV with just themselves in it. It's got to be on a scooter or an e-bike or a regular bike or on a skateboard or a one wheel or whatever it happens to be. And there's got to be the facilities down there to do it. And they're way cheaper than roads. You know, it costs like $13 million to do this mile of, of uh, cycle track down there on Center Street. The, the same distance of highway costs $500 million to a billion dollars. It's just ridiculous. So, you know, the, the it's just a no-brainer. You're saving a ton of money, bringing more people down uh, who are going to spend way more money and uh, reduce the frustration. And uh, really, everybody's happy from my perspective. And so I think it's a it's that conversation that has to happen. And that's the way that I approach these things when I'm talking to the row or to Caesars, uh, you know, with the casinos and also the politicians is that it's a, it's a no brainer and it's a win-win for everybody. And this is the way that you need to look at it. And you're going to end up with more money in your pockets all the way around uh, a healthier environment and happier people. And so let's, let's do this together. Right. And (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, do you think that the other forms of multimodal transportation besides bikes are a good kind of bridge to a environment that is less car focused for people who don't necessarily want to ride a bike or they have concerns about a bike? Things like as insignificant as it is or small an issue as it is, but things like wearing a helmet and messing up your hair or like getting sweaty or there's uh like bike theft is an issue and that's not an issue with these ride chairs. So, you know, you don't have to worry about your, you know, rental e-scooter being stolen because it's not yours. So do you think that these forms of 
you know, e-bikes and multimodal transportation and ride share, are those kind of a key to bridging that gap between just the traditional biking community and what you actually want to see us turn into? Yeah. So people have been riding to work for centuries and they, they managed to figure it out. Once you start to do it, it might be kind of a pain in the ass, uh, excuse my language, uh, when you first start, but then you figure it out and you're like, wow, I'm saving a bunch of money. This is awesome. And I'm like not having to go to the gym anymore and I get a bunch of fresh air and I'm not, uh, you know, getting as sick or whatever. And so yes, the, the e-bikes and e-scooters are a big shift. I, never liked e-bikes and uh I, I i thought they were stupid um but that was kind of the this purest in me that and 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 my dad who's 80 he bought himself a juicy uh e-bike and the thing goes 30 miles an hour it's like a motorcycle and he doesn't jump on it because he'd kill himself now i use it and i was just riding today and i thought yeah you know if i rode this to work i wouldn't even have to worry about putting on my spandex and and, uh, you know, riding really hard and, you know, stressing out in traffic, things like a motorcycle. That really is a, an answer. Uh, you know, I can wear my dress shoes on it. I don't have to put on my cleats to go fast enough to stay up with traffic and be safer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, to your point, that is a, an answer. And, and I think that's the, the quick answer. I produced some videos for Colo TV when I used to work there about how to bike to work and it was complicated. I had a bunch of clothes at work. You know, I didn't have a shower. You know, I had to like put up my own clothes rack and it was difficult. So you're right. E-scooters and e-bikes are the answer. And, and people up in Tahoe knew that when they had uh, e-scooters up there. And we're going to see the exact same thing here in Reno. When Lime Bike was here, as controversial as it was, that bike share uh, was extremely popular. I used to joke with my kids, uh, hey, let's uh, let's join a lime bike gang. We got to get all our friends out and we'd see like uh, large groups of people riding lime bikes and we'd laugh that there's a lime bike gang. And, and uh, I think that what we're going to see is some heavy competition for these uh, scooter and e-bike shares. Bird estimates that with a population of 250,000, that there is demand for over a thousand scooters in Reno. And and we're up at 380,000, I think, or something like that, our, our population up here. So this city can support way more uh, than a thousand. And it's going to be incremental that happening. It's, it's, it'll, my uh, crystal ball, if I were to pull it out is, is saying, Hey, you know what, up at the university, it's going to start there. There'll be a little franchise agreement for the university and students will be riding down into Midtown and the company that whatever operates them is going to have to take them back up to, to the university if they're left down there. But then it'll expand to Midtown, go to Southwest, go over to Sparks. Sparks is very eager. So is Carson City to have these in place. So I, I, I think that everyone understands what the future is and we would like it to move as fast as possible. So we've entered into those conversations, the e-bike companies and the e-scooter companies are the ones starting the conversation. So uh, that came to us and said, hey, what do we need to do? And they're, they've gone to the cities too and said, what do we need to do? And, this, and you know, the cities are like, I don't know, you know, because they're <laughs> like scooter and bike share. It, it didn't really work out last time. We had a really horrible experience. And so they came to us and said, hey, what do we need to do? And, and I think that we've got that ball rolling now. We had a meeting with the mayor. We've had uh, meetings with city staff and they're meeting on a regular basis with all the jurisdictions 
talking about, hey, how do we make this happen and how do we move the needle forward? And so uh, I, I think that we're going to see it really soon. You know, the concerns uh, that were in the paper recently about e-scooters and e-bikes is that they were concerned that uh, about the financial viability here. And I think what's missing from that conversation is that back then when line bike was here, it was just these analog bikes. You had to pedal, pedal it to go somewhere. And those bikes are were never really a part of the financial viability. E-scooters had to be a part of that financial viability because the e-scooters are the are the money maker and the bikes are the bonus. They're they're money losers for companies. They break all the time. There's so many moving parts. They move so fast. There's just a lot of problems with those. And so they are a bonus for the community, but the e-scooters are where the money's at. And Reno didn't implement that with the e-scooters. There were some problems with legislation at the time and questions about whether it was legal or not. Now it is. And that makes this market very appealing. And it's already working in other cities. Like uh, I think in Boise is one of them that some of the companies have mentioned. Uh, I think there might be another city in, in Texas, but this is an extremely appealing market. The reasons why are we're a university town and we're a tourist town. Both of those things make e-scooters uh, very appealing. People want to get as many places as possible, as quickly as possible, and a car isn't going to do it. It's just not going to do it anymore. There's too many people. So that's why the companies want to be here. And they, they estimate that it could generate $2.2 million. That's, that's from Bird, uh, $2.2 million in annual revenue for the jurisdictions here. And that's a low estimate. So when we're talking about financial viability, we're talking about not just financially viable, but producing money for the public. And, you know, that's what the company's also taking a cut to and, and being happy. So, yeah, again, uh, good news all the way around. Yeah, that's good to hear. I was going to ask you about what the kind of lessons learned from the line bike thing. And it sounds like part of it is just having the right product for the people that the most profitable thing that actually helps people get around the, you know, the line bikes were cool, but there are people who don't want to pedal. So having the scooters as an option and the e-bikes seems like it'll be more successful, but there was also some, um, uh, I guess like pushback, were there people locally who challenged? I know when I've lived in cities that have had the scooters, there were you know, people complaining about them being on the sidewalk. And I know we had issues with line bikes being vandalized or thrown in the river, that kind of thing. What's the kind of public piece of that? So we know that the bird wants to move into Reno and there's these companies that want to be here. And now it sounds like the city is more amenable to it and they've adjusted the laws. But what have you heard from people that are hesitant or have reservations or concerns or whatever? And, and what do you tell to them? Yeah. So I think that all the concerns are extremely valid and what's changed because the technology changes over time and very, very quickly in this sector is that there's an educational element. And if you've ever ridden a scooter and you, you know, you turn on the app, then it gives you a little lesson on what to do and what not to do right away, which, you know, they, they've learned from that and they have a lot of experience now with not having docks for the scooters um, how to educate the public on how to respect this benefit that the community has. And there's always going to be people who don't respect the these vehicles. 
So they, they will be left out in the road or on the sidewalk. And I think that that community perception is, is probably going to be rare when it happens, but you know, we tend to remember negative things. It's important to recognize that we're all in this together. And if a scooter is left somewhere where it shouldn't be, uh, or an e-bike is left somewhere where it shouldn't be, then, then we need to pick it up and move it. And there are going to be people who throw these pieces of expensive equipment in the river. And then we got to go and fish it out. Uh, the companies will be responsible for that. And I think that a lot of these things, they have worked out. They weigh a lot. And so it'll be hard to really throw them in the river and, and stuff. So I don't think it's as big of a problem as we perceive it to be. It is a concern. But again, we are all in this together. And if we want those benefits of people being able to move around quickly in downtown, then we're going to need to all be on the same page as far as what we need to do when, when something isn't right, uh, which is step up. And, you know, just like if you were walking down the sidewalk and you saw some trash uh, on Riverside Drive, you'd pick it up and, and throw it in the, in the trash bin. Same thing if, if you see an e-scooter laying in the middle of the sidewalk, you're going to pick it up and you're going to move it. I think there's more community discussion that needs to happen around that. It's not a, these discussions aren't, no, we're not bringing them here because they might get left on the sidewalk. I think that everybody is open to having discussions and being educated about them and what has changed over time. Dockless is one that is very important for us to talk about a little bit more, which is accessibility of these scooters in lower income communities. And I believe that there's the companies have recognized that not having docks uh, that's a place where you kind of take your scooter and you got to put it in there in order to get charged. Not having docks improves access to these to these vehicles, which is is very important for some populations. And that's part of what the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance is all about. You can put in a bicycle facility or put an e-scooter somewhere, but if you can't access it, it's not going to get used. So that's an important element. If we have docks and the scooters have to be put in them, are they accessible? And the chances are is that no, because you can't you, you can't set up three scooters or four scooters in as many places when you have to have a dock. And so while there might be people with those concerns saying we have to have a dock because it might get left on the sidewalk, that's not going to work because the docks don't prevent scooters from getting left on the sidewalk. And it's also the dock is preventing people from accessing these scooters or e-bikes in the communities where they're needed the most. And that's an important element of whatever agreement the cities enter with these companies is that we need these uh, vehicles distributed equitably. Uh, and that's something that our board member Manny Becerra has really emphasized is that we can't just put all the scooters downtown we, or e-bikes downtown. We need to put them in some other areas, maybe along the river or uh, over near Audi Boulevard, where there's going to be a new separated bike path over there from traffic. And, and so people will want to be able to ride to their work downtown. And if you force these docks to be everywhere, they're, they're just not going to have access. So those are all really important elements. And again, that we can address. We just have to know what they are, and I would really encourage anyone who has concerns to reach out to the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance. You can write to info at bikewasho.org, 
and we'll get right back to you with what those uh, answers are. If we don't have them, we'll we'll uh, figure it out. And if nothing else, we put it in a franchise agreement. Hey, this is a concern that you need to to think about. Another concern that has been brought up is speed in particular areas. And I think what we learned over the demo over the weekend is that these bikes and e-scooters have the, the companies have the ability to reduce their speed or completely eliminate them from an area. So if we didn't want them on Virginia Street, for instance, or we didn't want them in a parking garage, you can do geofencing down to the block level, even just the width of a street. So for instance, when I was riding uh, Bird's e-scooter through the Believe Plaza, and then I went to go cross Virginia Street, the scooter's speed reduced from 15 to 10 miles per hour hmm. only as I was crossing the street. So it was like a, you know, a 20 foot span. And I mean, it's just incredible how they can reduce the speeds of these things or completely eliminate them from an area. Um, there's a lot about the technology that we don't understand as just regular citizens out there. That's impressive. I did not know that they had that capability, but it seems like that would also make people more comfortable if they're scared about the safety issues and knowing that there is, you know, structures in place to keep it as safe as possible. I think that probably helps people be more likely to to jump on one if they haven't before. So that's good to hear. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is also is public transit and how all of these different multimodal forms of transportation fit in with public transit because Reno's not really a public transit city. It's, uh, you know, it's, we just don't have a good public transit system in general, I don't think. And one of the things I enjoyed when I lived in Portland is all of the buses had a bike rack on the front. So you could bike somewhere and then take the bus home. You just throw your bike on the front. Or there was car sharing services. The service that I used in Portland was called Car2Go. And I don't know if they're still up there, but it had this whole fleet of smart cars, these little smart cars. And they were not like a zip car where you need to pick it up at one place and return it to the same place. It was you pick it up anywhere, drop it off anywhere. So similar to kind of like the dockless scooters, but a lot of them also would have like a bike rack on the back. So you could bike one way and then let's say it's raining when you get off work, you could throw your bike on a bus or throw your bike on the back of a car share and drive home. Is there anything going on in Reno as far as integrating these other multimodal forms of transportation with public transit? Like how do these things tie in together? Getting away from cars doesn't just mean having individual modes of transportation, but also public transit where there's multiple people riding on a thing. Is that part of what Timba looks at or how does that factor into the the bigger picture of Reno's transit when you're looking at not just multimodal, but also public transit, those kind of uh, that infrastructure? Yeah. So what that's called is micro mobility. So I can give an example of that, uh, which is you take the bus to, you know, towards downtown Reno or something, or you take your car because you can't park in close to downtown and you got to park a mile away or something like that. And, um, you park your car and then you got to walk a mile, you know, in order to get to where you want to go. So that the micro mobility element of it is you jump on an e-bike or an e-scooter and, and you ride it that mile. Uh, and it costs you, you know, 20 cents or who knows what, uh, but it costs you virtually nothing to go that extra mile that you need to go because you can't get down there with your car. Uh, same thing with the bikes on buses, you know, I don't want to bag on public transit, but down in, in Vegas a while ago, I think it's probably about 15 years ago now, Las Vegas was one of the top cities in the nation for bicycles on buses. And it was just a shocking story. You know, Vegas is not a 
biking town. But So why are all these bikes on the buses? And it was because the buses don't show up. So people would come with their bikes and they're like, okay, I'm waiting at the bus stop. All right, well, the uh, bus is not come. So I'm going to jump on my bike and I'm going to ride as fast as I can to get to work. And that's why there are so many bikes on buses is because it was kind of a backup plan. But um, now today, you know, we've got this uh, micro mobility, which is the the final mile. And I think there's a, a story in the LA Times recently about going that extra mile when there's public transit involved. So people would, would take a, a, a train or whatever it happens to be, or a bus or their car, and they need to go one or two miles to get to where it is they need to go. And the solution is a, a scooter or a bike. Got it. Got it. I was going to ask also about getting people out on bikes in like a group activity. I've noticed that there's a couple of groups in Reno that do these community bike rides where it's a whole bunch of people together and they kind of just take over the road. And I saw that in Portland a lot. And then sometimes there were these like big, even like citywide events with thousands of people on bikes. But do you think that's a good way to introduce people to biking in a safe environment? Like you're not going to get hit by a car if the bikes have taken over the entire road. Are there things like that happening in Reno? Do you think those are a good idea or a good way to, you know, introduce people to, to being on the street on a bike and just being more comfortable biking? What have you seen in that regard here in town? Yeah, I feel like the number of events like that are pretty rare. The previous Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance president often held events like that to introduce people to biking. And it, and it did definitely feel safer uh, when I participated in those to be in a large group with a whole bunch of blinky lights at night. And yeah, that is a great way to introduce people to safer facilities. I haven't seen as many events like that as I think that we could be having and would like to have. And we do have a, a much larger board at the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance now. And we do have a community calendar that we've just developed this year for bike events. And we hope to keep that going beyond just bike month, which you know we're in now. You can find that at our website, bikewasho.org. And so we do hope to have more of these kind of family and community events. Recently, I was up at one of them uh, that was at a school at Billinghurst Middle School. And the, and the cyclists did, these kids did take over the road. As far as the safety element was concerned, I think there's a lot of, there's an education element for the cyclists there too, on staying to the right and how to ride safely. There's a, a great documentary out of Amsterdam on the kids who have been riding their bikes as a way to get to school for decades and how they interact with one another in a socially respectable way. And it's just incredible. There's cyclists that have been riding their entire lives and have never seen this kind of social interaction on a bicycle where everybody kind of knows what everybody else is doing and does it safely. And I, I think that we've got miles to go in that kind of realm of how do we interact together on bikes uh, so that we're not uh, putting each other in danger. And the, the Washoe County School District and RTC have done a good job uh, during bike month in particular, bringing out kids to bike together and they really enjoy it and they get really enthusiastic about it. You mean I get to get out on my bike with my friends, you know, and, uh, and they absolutely love it. Um, so yes, there's that social element. And like I said before, when we had line bike here, 
there were these lime bike gangs. And I think that that kind of speaks to the, the number of bikes that are sitting in people's garages with flat tires. They're not ready to go. But mm-hmm. when there's a bike share program out there, people are like, that bike's ready to go. And if there's, if that one's not ready to go, then the one right next to it will probably be ready to go. And they want to be out there. They just don't have the ability to do it right now because their bike needs some repair. The number of bikes that are going into the Reno bike project and Kiwanis program, they're like brand new bikes often that just have a flat tire. Somebody bought it and uh, never used it because it got a flat and they don't know how to change it, don't know where to get it changed, uh, can't afford to change it. And so when you can get on a bike for a dollar and go ride it because it's ready to go, then you do it. And the the popularity is there and we've already seen it in Reno. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it sounds like it's just a matter of, of making it really, really easy for people to bike that, like you said, people want to bike, but they have these fears or reservations. But if you just make it safe and make it easy, people do it. Right. Yeah. It sounds like I've convinced you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, a prime example. I, I moved back to Reno a few years ago and I, uh, I hadn't had a bike for a couple of years cause I lived in the, the Bay area and I didn't bike very much cause I worked, you know, in the city. I lived in Oakland and it was, I would bike occasionally, but it was, there was too much traffic and it was, it was dangerous. So I moved home to Reno and I got a bike here and just like many people had sat in my basement for most of its life. Part of that was just this extra hurdle of even as little as hauling it up from the basement up the stairs and getting a lock and a helmet and putting everything in a backpack and just like these minor things that, you know, extra couple minutes, but that was enough to make me drive instead or walk instead. So I think that you're right on about just making it easy enough that there is no barrier because the, when the line bikes were here, they were right across the street from my apartment. And that would be much more likely for me now to just hop on a line bike than to, you know, schlep a bike that may have a flat tire out of my basement and fix a flat and those kind of things. Do you think that is the bike sharing going to overtake personal bike ownership for a lot of these people that are just casual, you know, multimodal commuters? Or do you think that there's still a a big future for people investing in their own bikes and their own equipment? Do you think that is a you know, a potential still growing market and a, a way to steer people into bike culture with actually, you know, owning and caring about their own bikes? I don't know the answer to that. I think that right now demand is so high for electric bikes and electric scooters that if you were to go and talk to any bike shop, uh, Pedego, for instance, uh, sells really great, easy to use bikes that are, that, uh, you know, have nice big wide tires and big seats and you're sitting nice and upright and feel very safe. Uh, I think that it, if you talk to them, they're selling five a day when it's, when it's sunny out. I think that people will ride shared ones and then decide that they want their own and that that's going to increase uh, sales among all these shops. So I believe that they support bringing scooter and bike share to Reno because they recognize that it's going to make it safer for their customers when there's more people out for one, but that it's also going to drive business to them because there'll be people who probably wouldn't have tried one or may not have considered it. And then they're going to go out and they're going to try it and they're going to recognize that, Hey, you know what, if I've got one of these, 
I don't need to drive my stupid car to downtown and try and figure out what to do with it. I can zoom over there and, and be done with it, lock it up. And so, uh, yes, I, I do believe that the demand will continue and that the two aren't mutually exclusive uh, e-bikes and personal e-bikes and, and e-bike share. Awesome. Bike theft is a huge problem too. And I think, uh, I don't know how bad it is in Reno. I know in places that I've lived, it has been one of the things that stops people from buying a bike or from riding a bike regularly is this constant fear that it's going to get stolen. And that happens. And sometimes it's just a matter of knowing how to lock your bike up properly, making sure you have you know, the right equipment to lock your bike up and a safe place to put it, those kind of things. Is that a real concern, do you think, of a lot of people? And, and how do we address it? Yeah, definitely. Those those few things, uh, the harder you any bike can get stolen, but the harder you make it to get stolen, the less likely it is to get stolen. I've had a, a lot of bikes stolen. I had one that I had been riding since high school and moved up here to Reno and it was my daily commuter bike. And one day I didn't lock it up and then it got stolen, uh, you know, from right in front of my house. And I've also had bad locks, too. I had uh, one that I had bought that was really cheap and you could cut it with scissors. Like it was a, like a rope inside of some plastic or something. And <laughs> of course somebody, I uh, had it locked up in front of the Grand Sierra resort, uh, when I was visiting my dad and somebody cut it and, and stole it. Yeah, of course, that's uh, a, a big concern. I think there's a, there are some various, uh, methods that, that governments are using. Uh, I think down in Sacramento, I saw a a sign that said one of these bikes is a is being tracked and so if you steal it then they're going to know where you are and uh and going to get you so you know that's a deterrent and i think the more kind of deterrence that we have the better and we also need to focus on those who may be trying to steal because as long as the demand is there they will get stolen and if we can kind of direct that focus away from the stealing and maybe some other kind of economic incentive, for instance, uh, teaching how to repair and how to sell bikes, because we've got this incredible number of bikes in Reno from Burning Man that are broken. And <clears throat> I want to tell a story really quickly, just to, to kind of give you an example is I was out there at Burning Man one time and I went to go to sleep and all I had was a tarp. I didn't have anything else to sleep and I didn't have like a fancy RV or anything like a camp stove and a tarp. So uh, right before I went to sleep under my tarp, I looked out on the playa and I saw Robot Heart, which was, you know, some kind of a dance club thing. And uh, they were having a great time. They were just kind of getting started. And I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning after sleeping under my tarp with my earplugs in. And I saw where Robot Heart was, was a giant pile of bikes. So I rode my bike out there, way out there in the playa, and started fixing these bikes. Uh, didn't have anything else to do, I guess, or something. I just like doing it. So I started fixing bikes, and then people started showing up with broken bikes and taking the fixed bikes. And, and then I had more, and eventually, and they just kept on coming. And I had this kind of deep playa bike repair thing going on out in the middle of nowhere. And at the end of Burning Man, there's just a, from what I've heard, there's hundreds and hundreds maybe even thousands of broken bikes mm -hmm. and a lot of them come here to reno and if we can get those bikes fixed and sold you know we'll increase the income for some populations we'll get the bikes fixed we'll get more bikes out into people's hands and uh it's another win-win all the way around 
and maybe have fewer bikes stolen because working bikes aren't as in high demand because we've got lots of working bikes out there. So one of the things that the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance would like to do, uh, at least that, that I would like to do, and I've, I've kind of been exploring a little bit, is how to put some repair stations along the river uh, or in some other areas of town so that people who don't have tools or may have lost tools can fix bikes. You know, we could, we could just give away broken bikes and say, you know, fix it. You know, here's some, here's some stuff. Also, you know, to speak to that point, a little bit of broken bikes, the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance has also applied for a grant from Renown to have a mobile bike repair station. So what we could do with that is teach people how to repair bikes in low-income communities and tourist areas, you know, wherever it happens to be, we can ride up with our uh, mobile repair bicycle and uh, fix things. I think that's a, an, an important element to reducing the number of bikes that are stolen, which is a, a major frustration for people. I was down at the river one time, I'll tell you another story, uh, and I was hanging out by um, one of the pubs down there, and I was standing by the river. I wasn't having anything to drink, but uh, somebody, some pregnant lady came running out of the bar, and she's like, hey, my bike, and some guy's riding away on his bike, on this pregnant lady's bike. And I'm standing there and I have my bike and I'm thinking, oh, I guess I could follow him. What am I going to do? Like follow him and then, I don't know, like jump on him and tackle him and steal the stolen bike. I don't know. So I start to follow the guy down the street and he like takes off his shirt and I'm kind of like parallel riding on a side street and watching him between the, the cars and stuff. And I see him take off his shirt so he could, you know, not be recognized because if somebody called the cops, then he'd be. Uh, you know, Hey, he's wearing a black shirt, you know, and this guy's wearing a white shirt or something. And so I, I called the police and, uh, and so then the police are live on the phone with me and, uh, the guy's riding down the street and there and he, and I, he's riding really far away from me now. Cause I had to kind of stay back and the police all kind of were zeroing in on the area. And, uh, I see the guy turn a corner and, at the same time as he turns a corner, a police officer also turns the, the corner, coming the same, you know, the opposite direction. And I thought, how did they not see this guy? And so I ride as fast as I can towards where I last saw the guy and the cops come riding up to me and they're like, where is he? They're all angry. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, I don't know. And uh, so I ride up to where the guy is and I, where I last saw him and I ride past where he was and I like, I just he's like disappeared into thin air. And I thought, wait a minute, there's a pawn shop right there. So I go to the pawn shop. I'm like, I wonder if the guy's in there. That would be re really weird. Uh, and I walk into the pawn shop and I'm like, hey, did you guys see somebody with a bike? And then like the guy's right there. And then there's the bike. And I'm like, ah. And, and, uh, so I run out of the store. And then the cops are there at the pawn shop too in the parking lot. And I'm like, oh, he's in there. And then he like comes out and they tackle him. And it was a big scene. It ended up being the pregnant lady was the uh wife of a firefighter. And so uh, it was uh, a good thing, but I would prefer that people don't end up in jail from stealing bikes. Uh, I would prefer that they get an education on how to fix a bike and, and uh, sell it. That uh, to me, that's like a small business person there in the, in the making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like the solution for, and this is much bigger than just bikes, but I think the reason theft happens is because people are desperate and things are scarce. And for bikes, when, like you said, we have more bikes in this country than almost anywhere, there's 
you know, millions and millions and millions of them, it makes more sense to defeat bike theft by just making a certain number of bikes, you know, free or available or cheap or repairable or whatever, so that the incentive to steal kind of goes away. Obviously, like more expensive bikes are going to be targeted, things like that. But bikes that get stolen are not always expensive bikes. I think it's this like, you know, crimes of opportunity sometimes. And if we just take away that incentive by making, you know, a basic bike, something that almost anyone can just get or fix, that seems to be a good way to address the theft issue. Mm-hmm. Or or uh, buy for really cheap for like ten bucks or something like that. You can go over to the Reno Bike Project, and if your your kid needs a bike, you can get a bike for free or from Kiwanis. And but what we do need, you know, where are these needs? You know, we need safe places for people to ride, and uh, we need scooter share, and we also need a whole bunch of bikes to be fixed. And meanwhile, we've got a whole bunch of people who love stealing bikes and have lots of bike parts and uh, know how to repair them. Uh, how can we get, how can we kind of connect to those two? Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that they have the education and the tools that they need to be able to fix the bikes and then be able to sell those and also empower them to sell. So, uh, you know, once you have a bike and you've repaired it, how do you sell it? You know, if you don't have a cell phone or you don't have a, some sort of a Craigslist account or something like that, how do you, sell, or an address to go to, to, you know, to buy a bike? Uh, how do you empower people to to sell those? And uh, I think those are those are all hurdles that we need to overcome. We can't just ignore them and allow these problems to just continue the way that they are. We have some opportunity to improve our community dramatically by solving those problems. And there's just a you know a couple of little missing pieces to put in there, like the bike repair stations and things of that sort, uh, that will solve the problem. Yeah. And it sounds like relatively low cost things that we could be doing that would solve big problems. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what the bike repair stations cost, but if you wanted to see one, you could go up to the university right near the Joe Crawley student union. They've got a bike repair station there uh, with a a pump and some Allen wrenches and things like that. You could see one there. Awesome. Uh, What else? What else do you want people to know about bikes and Reno and uh, what didn't we cover? You know, I, I just really want people to be a part of us. So you know, if you ride a skateboard, you're not excluded because we're called bikewasho.org or the Trucking Meadows Bicycle Alliance. I've I've thought about trying to potentially change our name to the Truckee Meadows Multimodal Alliance or something like that to try and draw more people in. So that's what I want people to know is if you've got some kind of transportation that is not a car, then you are a part of us. And, and we want to be a part of you and your organization or just, uh, you know, your individual uh, activities. So if you have an idea for what can be done to improve whatever it is, the infrastructure for your your mode of transportation, your preferred mode of transportation, to let us know. And, and maybe there's some synergy there. We've got to work together to solve this addiction to the car. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'll put links to all those organizations in the show notes for listeners. And uh, yeah, I hope people will check out what you guys are doing. It's really good work. It's really important. I'm a huge believer in getting away from car centric cities. So it's really exciting to hear all the good stuff that you guys are doing. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. Thanks for having us on, Connor. Listeners, thank you again for tuning into this week's episode of Renoites. And thank you especially to my guest, Kai. Thank you so much for the work you're doing with the Truckee Meadows Bicycle Alliance. 
please make sure that you check out the Timba Facebook and webpage. I'll put those links in the show notes. And again, if you have any feedback for me, feel free to reach out by email. Follow me on social media. You can find me at Renoites on Facebook and Instagram. And if you have a moment, I would love for you to leave me a review on your podcast app of choice, especially Apple Podcasts. Those reviews can help people find the show. And, you know, if you give me five stars, people are more likely to listen. I really appreciate it. Until next week. <laughs>